welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigalov, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigalov was either off-duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigalov was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigalov. I want to thank you for joining me on another episode. This is Sam Sigalov. Great to meet you. Glad you could join us. We now have listeners in 48 states, including the District of Columbia. In Canada, there's Alberta, Ontario, British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Germany, New Zealand, United Kingdom. In Australia, we have listeners in New South Wales, Western Australia, and Queensland. Listeners in France, Russia, Panama, Ireland, Switzerland, Norway, Japan, Poland, Colombia, Slovenia, Portugal, Mexico, South South Korea, Italy, Finland, Algeria, Denmark, Bahamas, Belgium, and Argentina. Ladies and gentlemen, that is six continents that we have a reach to. And I want you to make sure that you understand you are not alone. That's the whole point of doing this, to have a different look on the world, to look at the truth, and to know that you're not alone. So I want to be very clear, if if you feel like you're all alone, and you're, you're holding out to not do something, don't ever do what you don't want to do. But you're not alone. You have a worldwide audience here. You have friends all over the world. Feel free to reach out to us anytime you need to. Email me at afterhours at 1791.com. Look us up on CloutHub at Dr. Sigloff or Instagram at afterhours at Dr. Sigloff. We also have other friends of the program. These friends of the program are called Terminal CWO. I'll put some links in, in the show description. We also have other friends called Truth for Health Foundation. Reach out to them. Get connected to them. If you have loved ones in the military who feel like they're being coerced and forced, reach out to these different groups. Reach out to me. Reach out to our network of friends here. Get plugged in. That way you don't feel alone because you're not. We're all in this together. So back in December 17, 2021, CDC sent a letter out to the clinical staff and healthcare providers. It would have been nice to have gotten that one. I don't think I got this one. But basically what it says is, The people that took the COVID-19 vaccines have false positive syphilis tests. Shazam! Yeah, that sounds awful, right? And so they give some recommendations. They say, go ahead and perform confirmatory testing for all reactive results. Use any of the serologic stuff that you want, you know, uh, basically. But what they, they want to make sure... That everyone knows that it doesn't cause syphilis. Your body's just making antibodies to it, to syphilis, and it makes it look like you had syphilis, but you don't have syphilis. Now, I'm not saying you do. I'm not, I'm not insinuating that at all. My question is, why, why do they need to, to tell us this letter? Why do they need to send this out to us and make us concerned that we're making antibodies to syphilis. Because now we're, we're making IgG and IgM to a bacteria. So it makes you wonder, like, was there contamination that could have caused this? Is there just, it just, it's happenstance? Because I, I do know that, like, this is why we treat streptococcal infections in the throat in kids, because they get things called, like, rheumatic fever. And so that's where your body makes antibodies to your heart valves. And that's bad, right? Because then you, you start damaging your heart valves. But so, so maybe this is just some random thing that, that happens. But it's interesting we're finding this out now and we didn't already know this 
about a year into having these available for the market. And it's it surprise. But maybe we'll find out more the more we study it because we haven't studied it for that long. Now, let's also remind you that you can go ahead and get a shot anytime you want. But there has now been open uh, through the CDC website. There is a clinical trials on, I'm sorry, it's clinicaltrials.gov. And there is now an ivermectin protocol in phase three trials, which is great. Because there's other studies that show that it's helpful. And so now we're finally going to get a phase three trial. Even though we already have decent evidence that it, it works. But, you know, there's certain places like, like my institution where I work where you can't get it because it's been outlawed because it can't be safe. Well, I know something else that's like in stage three trials that they're just handing out like it's water, but you know, pay no attention to that. So some of the old milestones, I say old because, you know, it's a couple days old, a couple weeks old now. It's only the milestones that we've used for, well, since before I started med school, a few years now. At 12 months, we expected children to be able to walk, stoop, and stand. Not, not pull up to standing, not, not start cruising. Cruising starts a little younger than that. But we expect them to actually start walking at 12 months of age. Now, we expect those things because that's kind of how society uh, has always expected, which means that that's probably how physiologically children develop at about 12 months. And if they don't develop at about 12 months, then there's, like, there's a good chance we need to look into it to make sure there's nothing else going on. Now, the new, the brand new CDC guidelines say that your baby at 12 months should pull up to stand. Well, that doesn't say anything about, it says walks, holding on to furniture. Huh. Well, when did they, when does the CDC, with their new guidelines, when did they expect children to walk on their own? Well, let's take a look. Takes a few steps on his own at 15 months of age. 15 months of age. That, that's a big difference. And then next, they expect your child to be able to walk without holding on to anyone or anything at 18 months. Okay, so we just went from walking, stooping and standing at 12 months to 18 months now. Now, the previous milestones, developmental milestones, had children walking backwards, able to walk backwards at 15 months, and then at about two years, be able to walk up and downstairs. Let's also look at some other much, much older, like ancient, this is from 1999, developmental milestones. So at 19 to 21 months, a child should be able to have about 20 words in their vocabulary with about 50% of the speech understandable by strangers. Now at 18 months, they try to say three or more words besides mama and dada. So that's three more words plus mama and dada, that's five. Whereas back in 1999, we expected a similar age to have about 20 words. And then the old ancient milestones have us say, have children saying more than 50 words and two word phrases at ages 22 to 24 months with a vocabulary. So that's just a little, you know, 
12 months is a year, so that's right at two years. Uh, and then two to two and a half should have a vocabulary of about 400 words. And let me just remind you, the old, the ancient, the ter- you know, the really, really old milestones, they had, you know, it was 24 months or so. Um, that was the age. And now at 30 months, so older, the new milestones where the child is older at 30 months of age, they should say about 50 words, not closer to 400 words compared to the old, the ancient, the, the really, really old ones that we don't use anymore. And then again, let's also look. So a little older age, this is from three to four. Now we're expecting, and this is again, sorry, this is with the ancient, the very, very old milestone, developmental milestone chart. This is really old. So we just, we should probably just forget that this is even a thing, but I was able to find it. It's still out there on the internet somewhere. So maybe, you know, go and look it up, print it so you can have it on file, just so you can remember how foolish we used to be to think kids could be developing this quickly. But from ages three to four years old, we, we used to think that they could say three to six words per sentence. They could ask questions, co- have conversation, uh, relate experiences, tell stories, where almost all parts of speech were understood by strangers. But now we only expect four-year-olds to be able to say sentences with four or more words. So a little recap is we went from three to six, and now we're just like, well, let's just let's aim for four or more, because that's, that's kind of in the middle that's close, right? And then somewhere between four and five, we expected them to have six to eight word sentences and, you know, be able to count to 10, which, which they still expect to be able to count to 10, which is great. Uh, but it's now they, they just tell a story of at least two events, you know, but we don't, they don't really tell us how many words per sentence they should be able to say, because, because I guess we've, you know, we don't want to have anybody felt like they're held behind. What I'll tell you what really is going on. What they don't want is anybody to get the help they need when they need it early. Those early months, those early developmental milestones are so critical because if a child's having an issue, the earlier we find it and the earlier we get treatment, the better. Period. End of statement. There is no, well, let's wait and see. Let's see what happens. No, we get treatment early. Same with children that have weight issues, right? So, you know, infants that don't gain weight, we figure it out quick. We don't wait three months and then have you come back to another office visit. We figure out why. We make sure that it's not just just an eating thing. Maybe, maybe it's just, maybe they're just not eating right. Because that's usually not the issue. We have to make sure that it's not a heart issue. We have to make sure that there's not some other underlying metabolic issue going on. And my fear is with these changes that they've made to the milestones is that many more children with developmental issues will be lost. And no one will know until it's too late. Doctors won't, they'll be like, oh, well, these new, these new guidelines are great because, oh, the kid, you know, the child doesn't need to walk on his own at 12 months like he should have or she should have. Why is why is anyone listening to the CDC? Like, seriously, like, why would anyone put their trust in the CDC and or anything they say? Because you shouldn't, not at this point. So let's talk about some things that can help. All right, so. Uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about food. Food's important, right? So, you know, if you have a new child, a newborn at home, try to breastfeed. That's the best thing you can possibly do because nothing is better for that child than what you make for that child. Now, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be incredibly hard. My wife breastfed both of our children. and It was hard. It did not look easy. I helped where I could, but there's lots of times where I couldn't help at all. We have to remember that it's the hard things in life that make it worth it. 
if it's easy, everyone can do it, then it's probably not worth doing. And so if you can breastfeed, please do. Now, I understand there are some women that, that lack the capability. There are some women that are unable to for various reasons. They've had surgery. They have scar tissue. They have, you know, various, various things. But if you have the physical capacity and you have the mental capacity, then you should do it. Because nothing is better for your child than what the good Lord made for that child. If your child's feeling ill and needs more water in their system, your breast milk will alter the contents and the characteristics to give the child more water. If your child needs to gain more weight, the breast milk will become more fatty and have more sugar in it so that the child will gain weight. There's this feedback loop between the mother and the child that makes that breast milk exactly what that child needs. So much, in fact, that let's say a mother is feeding one child on one breast and a different child on a different breast. You can get different milk from each breast that way. They could be different ages. They could be twins that have different needs at the moment. But there's nothing better than what the good Lord made us to feed our children. So now that we've been, let's say, exclusively breastfeeding our child for six months, because I think that's the best way to do it. That's what we should do. Now, at six months, if your child's ready, you can start feeding other things. Now, the important things to remember are don't feed anything that's a choking hazard. Don't ever feed your child honey until they're at least one year old. And cow's milk. Do not give a child cow's milk until they're at least one year old. It's hard on their stomach. And the reason for honey, that we don't give it to anyone 12 months and and younger, is because there could be botulinum or botulism in the honey, which could cause devastating effects if given to a child too young. So please don't do those things. But otherwise, give the child what you eat. As long as it's not a choking hazard. As long as you know they don't have any allergy for it. And children... No one can ever have an allergy to anything the first time they have it. Second time they could have an allergy, third time they could. But they don't develop the allergies the very first time. And I think children should have a wide variety of foods. But there should be a special focus on those foods. And those food, the special focus should be on the most nutritious foods available for humans. And the most nutritious foods available for humans are anything from an animal. That's saturated fat, animal fat, butter. That's meat. Now, I think all children should be given all a wide variety of foods so that they don't develop an allergy to anything. Back in the early 90s, there was you know, a cohort of parents, a group of parents, that didn't want their children to get anaphylaxis to peanuts. So they thought what they did what they thought was best. They said, okay, well, then we don't give anaphylaxis to peanuts, so we'll never expose them to peanuts. That's the worst possible idea ever. And that group of children actually had higher rates of anaphylaxis to peanuts. And that's why I think all children should should have a wide variety of foods. Now, let's say your child is no longer, you know, under one. Now, they're, they're a child, so they're no longer infants, so they're 12 months and older. I had to remind a doctor of that not too long ago, unfortunately. They thought 12 months old was still an infant. No, a 12-month-old is now a child. I digress. But anyone who's over you know, a year and they're eating a wide variety of foods. And let's say you've got dinner prepared and you've got broccoli on your plate and you've got beef on your plate. And let's say it's going to be a fight either way for the child to eat something. Just go with, go with the beef. Take the broccoli off the plate. Now, is it good for kids to eat broccoli? Sure. If you want them to not get anaphylaxis to it, otherwise they don't need to. Um, 
again, the main reason for eating a wide variety with kids is so that they, they don't develop anaphylaxis. But the most nutritious foods that humans can eat are animal-based products. And not these, these fake, you know, beyond meat garbage, because it's just garbage. It's not actual meat, and it shouldn't even have the word meat in it, shouldn't be in the meat aisle, shouldn't be near meat, shouldn't look like meat because it's false advertisement. And I encourage anyone, if they can, sue them for false advertisement as a meat-based whatever because it's not meat. It didn't come from an animal. There are compounds and, and chemicals that are not in there because they're only produced in animal bodies. But anyhow, focus on the animal-based eating. So what we do with our children, and what I encourage others to do with their children, is you want to teach your children to have good habits around food. And so how do you know what's good food, what's bad food? What is bad food? Because, you know, you don't want to find some, you know, teach some five-year-old to be reading uh, nutrition labels. That's, that's not right. And so what you teach your children is there's strong food and there's weak food. And this works great for adults, too. Strong food makes me strong. It makes sense. If I eat more strong things, then I get stronger. My body gets stronger. My mind gets stronger. I get more metabolically healthy. Now, if I eat weak foods, well, that's easy to understand, right? I eat weak foods, I get weak. My body gets weak. My mind gets weak. And so what are strong foods? Strong foods are anything that comes from an animal. So that's beef, lamb, goat, pork, fish, chicken, shrimp, butter, cheese, heavy cream. Milk's kind of this funny thing. Um, Milk has a lot of sugar and fat in it, so milk is really good for things that need to gain a lot of weight fast, uh, which most of us adults don't need to be gaining a lot of weight fast. Now, what are weak foods? It's easy. Anything that's in a processed or it's processed or in a package. Anything that has polyunsaturated fatty acids in it, that's PUFA for short, polyunsaturated fatty acid, PUFA. And so if you can cut out all the PUFAs, then you're going to make a much better um, diet for yourself. And it's not so much a, when I say the word diet, I don't mean like, oh, I'm going on a diet. No, when I use, whenever I use the word diet, it's in the effect that this is what I eat. This is how I live. I don't eat the other stuff. I do eat this. When I, let's say I go to the grocery store. I don't even see those things that aren't food anymore because they're not food. You shouldn't put them in your body if it's not food. Also, vegetables, the plant bodies, those are those are weak foods. Now, again, I want children to be able to taste them here and there so that they don't develop allergies to them. But vegetables are weak food. How do we know? Well, there's a lot of biochemistry behind this and, and it's how... To, and it's how plants protect themselves. They make toxins and chemicals. Uh, Some of them more toxic than others. Some of them not too toxic, but they make things that are not good for our bodies because they don't want to be eaten. Now, I've had a lot of questions recently from some conversations I've had. Well, doc, yeah, I I love my vegetables. I love eating zucchini and I love my pickles and I love my olives and I love... Wait, stop. Everything you just mentioned was a fruit. Just because it's not sweet doesn't mean it's not a fruit, right? So we have to remember the fruit Is anything with a seed in it or on it? Strawberries, fruit, pumpkin, fruit, zucchini, fruit. A vegetable would be a carrot. A vegetable would be a potato, the body of the plant. The idea being that the plant makes this thing, we call it a fruit, and it it puts all this nice sugary stuff around the seed 
so that it does one of two things. It, it attracts an animal to come eat that fruit to spread the seed. Or if that fruit just falls off the plant, now this plant has something to turn into fertilizer around it, basically. The seed starts growing and has all this sugar that's left behind from the fruit, and it can start growing. And that's very different than the vegetable. Avocado, also a fruit. And so many things that most people think are vegetables are not really vegetables. They're actually fruit when you look at the the, nomen, the correct nomenclature of it. And so I've had a question about what vitamins and minerals should I be taking? What should I be supplementing with? That's a great question. If you're not eating a healthy diet of mostly strong food, as I just described, or as close to as much strong food as possible, then yeah, maybe you might have to take some extra supplements. Maybe you're not getting everything your body needs. But let's look back. Let's go into an, a thought experiment um, to the Great Plains. Let's go 2,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, however far you want to go back. There are people that lived in that area. And if you've ever been to the Great Plains of America, then you'll know there's no real plants for people to eat there. There's, there's plants for animals to eat, like buffalo. And there's lots of Native American tribes that followed buffalo and ate buffalo and ate every single part of the buffalo. And what they didn't eat, they used for homes and shelters and clothing. And if you look in the Middle East, similar. There's not a lot of plants for humans to eat. But there's plenty of plants for animals like goats and sheep to eat. And that's what they ate. They ate the goat and the sheep. They were able to process those plants to give them the nutrients, the essential fatty acids, the essential amino acids that their bodies needed. And in those two places in the world, no one ever said, man, I just need, I need to go get some vitamin C from the store. I'm just going to go get some tabs of vitamin C. And they didn't go, ah, man, I need a shot of B12. I wish I just had a shot of B12. I'd feel so much better because they were getting in their diet. Now there are situations today where there's illnesses, pernicious anemia, where people might need to have a shot of B12. So, I mean, medicines, there are still medical conditions where people still need medicine. However, if you don't have significant medical issues, try eating a nutritious diet first. It was interesting, too, because there was this article that came out in, it was published in October of 19 and then published in January of 2020. And it talked about these three compounds in red meat. The title of the study is the important roles of dietary taurine, creatine, carnosine, arsenine, and 4-hydroproline in the human nutrition and health. It goes on to say how these are nutritionally and physiologically significant, how they're needed for the human body, how they're beneficial in treating and preventing diseases such as obesity, cardiovascular dysfunction, that's issues with the heart, and other age-related disorders, as well as inhibiting tumor genesis or preventing tumor growth, improving skin and bone health, helping with neurologic issues, abnormalities, and promoting well-being in infants, children, and adults. Hmm. So maybe we should have our children eating more beef than broccoli. And furthermore, these nutrients may promote the immunological defense of humans against infections by bacteria, fungus, parasites, and viruses and I'm going to read this verbatim, including coronaviruses through enhancing metabolism and functions of monocytes, macrophages, and other cells of the immune system. Red meat, including beef, is a functional food for optimizing human growth, 
development, and health. Shazam! Let me read that one more time. Red meat, including beef, is a functional food for optimizing human growth, development, and health. Shazam! That should make every one of you wonder why, if you've ever been around a doctor and they said, well, you need to cut down on your red beef, your red meat. You just eat too much red meat. I think it's the red meat that might be causing your heart issues. Really? Because this article would say the complete opposite. And if we look into human history, what humans have eaten for thousands and thousands of years to get us to be alive at this moment and this point in time, that would also, you know, not agree with what this article is saying and what natural history has shown us and physiology shows us. However, this seems to be a common idea that's going on with many physicians in the past and even glaring so right now. For the first time since I've taken command here, I want to know nothing, nothing. Okay, I'm going to change direction just a little bit. I'm going to start talking about COVID. Uh, I want to share a website with you. It's called Hoping for Justice. That's H-O-P-I-N-G, the number four. Justice, J-U-S-T-I-C, dot O-R-G. That's hopingforjustice.org. And I'll put the link in the show notes below. Now, this is a personal friend of mine. I've had the pleasure of meeting him, and he is what we call an OG, original gangster in this field. He, he has lots of experience with EUA and with mandates. So first, his mission statement is, service members have the prior consent right to accept or refuse emergency use immunizations. Number two, senior leaders must ensure immunizations comply with government regulations and standards. We're not, that's not happening. That, that's just not happening now. There are no immunizations that comply with government regulation standards. Sorry, digressing there a bit. All right, number three, if the rules are not followed, the bottom of the chain of command should not be punished. Number four, it is common sense to halt and reverse all punishments and discharges related to the EUA COVID vaccines. And here he has referenced EUA law 10 USC 1107 alpha, ensure that individuals are informed of an option to accept or refuse administration of a product. To the gentleman that set up this website, this is where his experience comes from. Back in 2003, when the last, well, the first time we had an EUA product available and was being forced upon people. Let me restate that. An EUA product was being coerced upon people. The man that set up this website and and has this organization was one of the first people to fight this fight back in 2003 when there was the anthrax vaccine that was under EUA and it was determined to be illegal then, just as these COVID shots will be determined to be illegal. Some of the legal and regulatory developments that I think everyone should know. The FDA has recently confirmed that no products are interchangeable with Comirnaty. So if you look at this website called the FDA Purple Book and you go and you search on there for community, you will find that there are no biosimilar data available at this time. And if you look for interchangeability, no interchangeable data available at this time. So this whole idea that there's this interchangeability between Pfizer, BioNTech, and and community is wrong. Anyone that tells you that is wrong, legally wrong, morally wrong, and they're trying to deceive you. 
Because at this point, if they don't know the difference, they're willfully blind. And I want to tell everybody that's holding out, continue holding that line, continue holding it, because eventually they'll, they'll go back on it. I've got something here from uh, Rochelle Walensky, MD. Oh, come on. No, no, no. We're not, we can't be guilty of spreading misinformation. You're saying that's not, hang on. Just read it. Not misinformation. She actually is a physician. Shazam. You would have got me. I didn't know that. Anyhow. Dang. This whole time she, Rochelle Walensky has been a doctor. Good night. All right. So well, she said, anyway, let's get back to what she was saying. She's saying that overall risk of severe disease due to COVID-19 is generally lowered with widespread population immunity through vaccination boosters and prior infection. Did she just did she just say prior infection? I think she said prior infection. Which I don't get because I thought prior infection didn't offer any any help at all. But I say all that to say. If you're holding the line and you haven't gotten it yet, there's a there's a good chance you haven't gotten it because you don't want to get it. What I would encourage you to do is keep holding that line. There's a story in the Bible about this one guy and he would pray every day and then all of a sudden there was two people conspiring against him and they went to the king and they made the king sign into law or they coerced the king to sign into law that anyone that asked any favor of anyone that they must be thrown into a lion pit and so the king was like yeah it sounds great we'll go ahead and sign that put a stamp on it there we go And then it came to the king's attention that one man that he loved and was close to him, Daniel, was praying. And when you pray, you ask for things. And since that went against the law that he had just passed, Daniel was required to be thrown into the lion's den. I don't know how Daniel went into the lion's den. If it would have been me, it would have been been loud. I would have been screaming and crying and, and all sorts of terrible things. I'm sure he was a bit more stoic than I am. But, you know, I hate getting a paper cut. Anyhow. But he went into the lion's den. And because he followed God's law, and he followed and continued that relationship with God and did not follow man's law that was in contradiction to God's law, God was able to keep his hand around him. But I challenge you that even if God didn't keep his hand around Daniel, then it would have been better to have been eaten by the lion than it would be to live with that on your heart. So please, if you haven't gotten it yet, please don't. If you did get it and you don't want to get more, don't get more. Here at After Hours with Dr. Sigloff, we have some friends. One of our friends is the Truth for Health Foundation. If you've never heard of them, please look them up. It's truthforhealthfoundation.org or truthforhealthfoundation.org. It's a 501c3 public charity incorporated in Arizona, United States. Not only do they have treatment protocols available for home treatment of COVID, COVID hospitalization treatment, long-haul treatments, but they can even help you find a doctor. They also have other medical legal help. They have a COVID care strategy team. They have some legal resources available. They have ways of granting scholarship and defense funds. Now, I do want to make it clear that most of those scholarship defense funds are for soldiers. 
Uh, but please reach out to them, talk to them, look at their program, see what they have. They're a good friend of this program. Some other friends of the program. Look up Ren's Law on Clout Hub. That's Clout Hub, C-L-O-U-T-H-U-B. Look up Ren's Law on Clout Hub. And then another account that is also friends of this program goes by the name Terminal CWO. That stands for Terminal Chief Warrant Officer. He's in various places as well. He's on Instagram. He's on CloudHub. Uh, he's great because he keeps it funny. He keeps it real. He, he pokes fun at people that need to be poked fun at. Uh, now, I can't agree or, you know, or disagree with everything he says because he does say some good things. Uh, but go ahead and check him out. It adds a little levity to the situation. And one other organization that's it's a friend of this station group to look up that's also a friend of this program is army batman go ahead and look him up you know i can't i can't agree with every publicly with everything he says because some of it's kind of poking fun at people uh but he's a military whistleblowing network also with humor mixed in for some fun and accountability so please look up these people, you know, please don't be alone. Please, please share them, like them with your friends. If you have family members that feel like they're all alone in the military, if you have children that are in the military, if, if you have a brother or a sister that's in the military that feels like they're just being hammered by the system, make sure they have a network. And if they don't have a network, have them reach out to those people that I just discussed, either Army Batman or Terminal CWO, or reach out to Truth for Health Foundation. Or reach out to me at After Hours at 1791.com. And if anyone would like to be one of our vocal supporters, you've heard them in the past, the people that give a, a reference to some quote of a founding father or a general or some famous leader that helps us carry on today. And, and if you would like to read one of those, email me at After Hours at 1791. Thank you for joining us on another episode. Please feel free to reach out to me at any time at afterhours at 1791.com. 1791, that's the year that the Bill of Rights was ratified. So please reach out to me at 17 at afterhours at 1791.com. Also, please feel free to reach out to any of our friends of the station, friends of the podcast. Please make sure that you're getting plugged into a network somewhere. We can't do this alone. It takes a whole nation, it takes a whole world to fight what we're fighting, and it can't be done alone. If you find you're struggling, please reach out to me, reach out to any of those other groups that I've mentioned. And together, across six continents, we will make courage more contagious than fear.